Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sindard with Gospel App Ministries, gospel-app.com. Uh, we are going to take a break from the Sermon on the Mount to talk about something that's very important. A lot of people are telling me, or asking me, if I have anything <laughs> that has to do with addiction that can help Christians who struggle with addiction or families who struggle with uh, addicts in the family. Uh, I have some, but most of what I've learned, I've learned from conversations with my dear friend, Carrie Dupre. She is here today. She's visiting my home in uh, the Denver region, and it's so great to have her here. Before we get to her, and she's going to teach us a lot about uh, the gospel and addiction, I need to do a word from our sponsors. We're on lifeaudio.com. You can check out the other podcasts there. And part of the gig is we actually have sponsors. I mean, who knew? But uh, So we're just going to take a moment and hear from them. We'll see you in a minute. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back. This is exciting. We're going to be talking about addictions and the gospel, what works, what doesn't work. And I do want to introduce one more time my dear friend, Carrie Dupre. She and her husband were part of our first church plant in 1995 in the lower mainland of Vancouver. It was a ridiculous, wonderful experience. So Carrie, welcome to my home and welcome to Gospel Rant. Oh, thanks very much, Bill. Thanks for having me. Glad to. And, and what a great thing to pick your brain. We we'll probably could do two or three podcasts. We'll try to focus on just one. So uh, help the listeners know a little bit about you and, and this and this whole topic of addiction. Well, Bill, I think um, I think I've been a, uh, an addict almost all of my life. Um, and I've had a, a number of different types and forms of addiction. If I think back to my earliest times when I was a child growing up in an alcoholic home that was extremely dysfunctional, my very first way of escaping the chaos and the insanity was to daydream and to pretend that um, I lived in a Walt Disney family. And I'd go into my bedroom, close the door, and pretend, make up stories in my head just to escape the yelling and screaming that was going on. Both, uh, both parents. Yeah. So that was the first way um, that I developed an addiction in order to cope with mm-hmm. the feelings and the chaos and the powerlessness that I was experiencing. There was absolutely nothing I could do to change what was happening. Yep. 
uh, so I did that all through being a child, and and then when I got into high school, uh, sports. So sports allowed me to go to school early for practice, to stay late, to go away on weekends, and so it was more of an avoidance, but it it provided um, an escape from what was going on. Mm -hmm. And so that became the way of coping and and not dealing with it, but just coping with it. So somehow escaping from the reality of what was going on. Wow. And were you intentionally doing that or looking back, you're recognizing that's what young Carrie did? That's what I did. I had no other means of dealing or processing. There was so much shame around the fact that my dad was an alcoholic and beating my mom on a regular basis. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. Abuse. And um, and then he would leave quite often, and we would be, you know, stuck going on welfare. And so there was a wow. tremendous amount of shame. So there was no way I was ever going to tell a soul what was going on in our house. Yep. So that's what I practiced all through high school. And um, I guess the only the only hope that I had was when I was young, there was this man that used to come and pick us up and take us to Sunday school. Oh. And when I went to Sunday school, there was this family, and they loved each other. Mm -hmm. They loved Mm -hmm. God, and they loved each other, Mm -hmm. and they had a sense of peace. And so I started making a plan at a very, very young age. Mm -hmm. I made a plan that I was going to get out of there. I was going to get out of my house. Yep. And that somehow, intrinsically, I knew that it had to do with God. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I had no um, teaching other than that Jesus died for my sins. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I somehow knew that that was going to be the solution, that there was a part, there was something to that. And those people had something, and I wanted it. So what attracted you about Jesus? I mean, they... Um, they had the people. Yeah, yeah the people. Was, and they lived. They had Jesus joy. Followers. They had peace. Mm-hmm. They had love for one another. There mm-hmm. there was no tension in their homes that I could see. Right, compared to yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I also, one way of dealing with the powerlessness of what was going on was I, I made some vows. Oh. I vowed to myself that I was never going to drink. Oh, you right. did? Yeah. That I was never going to become dependent on yeah. anyone yeah. to provide for me. Yeah. That I was going to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And so all through university, you know, I I had scholarships and I never told anybody. I worked every summer and made money and I think my family thought that's how I did it. Mm-hmm. Um but that's how I got myself through university, through scholarships. <clears throat> and, I, and I had a relationship with my first husband, but it was the same thing. I was never going to trust him. Still? He, yep. Yep. And you really didn't have anybody you could talk to about it, right? Because there wasn't, uh, who would you trust in the first place? Well, I pretended a lot in my first marriage. I pretended that I had a good family and I came from a good place and I had a good upbringing and that I was moral. And you told your husband that. Well, I, I acted that way. I acted. He didn't know. No. Yeah, that's not uncommon. That's shame, right? You you gotta hide. Yeah. And and you some somewhere in the in your brain you think that if they knew my dirty secret they wouldn't like me. Exactly. Yep. 
Yeah. So I just put all that stuff in a pack sack and, and carried it around. I experienced my first bout of depression when I was in my third year university. I was working as a hydrometer reader. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just felt, felt this overwhelming sense of, of doom and despair. Mm-hmm. And my first response mm-hmm. was to go to a church. I was, I was See, calling. I was afraid you were going to say drink. No. But it's to go to a church. Because my vow was I was never going yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And if I was to ever cross that mm-hmm. and drink, mm-hmm. the amount of shame and guilt that I would feel, that, I would, get just, it. that, that would be it. It would be over for me. I get it. So, so at this point, you can at least trust the vow. You can't trust anything else, but you can trust your willing, your your ability to not be your dad. I had power over it. You had power. That's exactly. That's it. Good. Yeah. So um, I had this bout of depression, and the only thing I knew to do, again, that's not true. I didn't know to do it. Something. Mm-hmm. I just went to a church. Yeah. I was on my route reading meters, and there was a church there, and I went in. Oh, this wasn't your church. This was this was just a church out on the route that I was mm. reading meters mm. on. And I went in there, and I talked to the pastor. And I can't remember what he said, but mm. um, yeah, I, I I guess I I kept going, kept going, kept mm. working. Yeah. You know, so here I was at university. Um, I was playing all sorts of sports. Mm-hmm. You know, I was winning all sorts of accolades uh, and awards, um, Athlete of the Year. That feels good. Yeah, because those were the only places or things that I could do in order to feel good about who Carrie was. Yeah. So it was all about working hard, earning, getting accolades, getting recognition. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was never enough. Mm -hmm. It it would appease the the lack of self-esteem that I had. Mm -hmm. But it was exhausting, pretty exhausting. So then I got my first job up north, and um, and the craziness continued uh, of, of just working all day and training and running. And by this time, I was running marathons and triathlons. And, you, you know, I somewhere in there I did get married, but mm-hmm. I never let down my guard. Mm-hmm. I never became dependent on him for anything. Because... Dependence means pain. Yeah, well, I couldn't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody in my life had always let me down. Mm-hmm. So I was self-sufficient, self-reliant. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and that started to break down. And again, mm-hmm. the place that I went was a church. Wow. My God has always been faithful to surround me with Christians. Mm-hmm. And I've always been attracted to them. So when I was working up north... There was a woman, Louise Corliss. She was a librarian at our school, mm. and I wanted to be close to her. Mm. I just wanted to be close to her. Mm. And so I'd go to the library, and I'd chat with her all the time, and eventually she invited me to a Bible study, and I started going back to church and um, started to, you know, teaching Sunday school. And But my addictions were still there. And right? still wearing masks. And still wearing masks. Yeah. Very lonely. Yeah. I mean, when all said and done, you were ridiculously isolated. On my own. Yeah. So when my 
first husband told me that he'd been having an affair oh, for my a goodness. year. Oh, no. <laughs> we were both teaching at the same high school, and he had it, and um, I was a female phys ed teacher, and he was the male phys ed teacher, and he was having an affair with the other female phys ed teacher in front of me, and I had no idea. Uh, so, you can imagine, like, I mean, I don't think I was devastated. I just recognized, yeah, you can't trust anybody. Yeah, it fit in the pattern. It fit in the mold. This is the, yeah. you know, forget Disney. This is real life. I remember him coming to me the day that he was leaving, and he said to me, Carrie, I've never met somebody so strong as you. You'll make it. You'll be fine. You'll, you'll have no problem. Oh, very sensitive guy. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he was right, Bill. That was what I portrayed. I was self-reliant, self-dependent, mm -hmm. and I, I really believed I had the power mm -hmm. to do my life. And there were only these little cracks Every once in a while. And when those cracks came, by the grace of God, I went to church. So loneliness, we now know, is actually a pain in the brain. It actually, the DACC, it feels like your brain recognizes loneliness as an ouch. Which means it, it becomes obsessed to get rid of that ouch. Right? Mm -hmm. you probably don't, we probably don't recognize the obsession. But we have to... Get rid of the ouch. How did you get rid of the, the loneliness ouch? I ran. Okay. okay. Exercise. Okay. Dopamine, yeah. all that good stuff. Yeah. And accolades. Mm -hmm. And that worked as well as it could. Relatively well. Short term? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you just have to keep doing more and more and more. Because, that's right. That's how the brain works, right? It's just less and less effective. Yeah. So then I ended up. In, uh, on the west coast of uh, Canada, and I made a, oh, so I, I left where I was living, and on the way, as I was driving across Canada, I had um, the whole Bible on cassettes, <laughs> and I listened to the whole Bible on cassettes. cassettes. What, what, are the, what are those? <laughs> yeah, this was in the 80s, yeah. um, and I, I listened to those all the way across Canada, and I just kept, you know, I just... That got me there. Mm -hmm. I don't understand it. I don't know why, but I mm -hmm. had a tremendous amount of hope, mm -hmm. and I just kept going. Mm -hmm. And um, so, uh, sorry to cut you off. This is fascinating. I mean, so so I'm shame prone. I would have been thinking. I would have. I would have wondered if I was a disappointment to Jesus. Failed marriage. Lonely, depressed, right? I mean, all the stuff in Scripture that thou shalt, thou shalt not. I would have wondered if God loved me. I still do, by the way. I'm shame prone. <laughs> Even though I know better, I still struggle with that. You? Well, I don't think I had surrendered to God yet. He was just something mm. that was going to be a solution. Oh. Right? There was some comfort there. But I hadn't surrendered to him. Not so sure it was yours then. Right. It's there. It's out there. I'm looking. People had it. And you went, I'm running that direction. Okay. All right. I'm tracking now. Good. Okay. okay. So um, one of my vows, another vow that I made was that I was never ever going to get involved with anybody again unless they were a professing Christian. Yep. Hence, um, I meet my second husband. And... Um, Blaine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My husband Blaine. And um, and we get married. 
and the insanity stops for a little while, right? But then we had gotten married very, very quickly, and there were lots of unresolved issues for myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we started to fight. And Is this new? Did you fight with your first husband? No. Okay, this is new. Okay. I didn't fight with him. Interesting. And, um, and, so, and we really fought. Like we were, it was crazy, crazy making, right? And I kept like kind of projecting it onto him. Like, wait a sec, you're a Christian. You're supposed to be the answer. You're supposed Mm. to, why aren't you, why isn't this working? Like what's going on? Mm. And And it wasn't working for him. No. And it wasn't working for me either. Just Christianity thing. He wasn't, he couldn't be your savior. He couldn't be your life vest. I wanted him to be. Yeah. But he couldn't. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think I, like all the other addictions stopped working mm-hmm. too, like the, mm-hmm. the running and the exercise and that, you know, I was just always exhausted. And, um, and so I just, I just became progressively more and more depressed and turned me to the point where I couldn't get out of bed. And, um, yeah, depression, it, it's exhausting emotionally and physically. Well, I think I had been, I had suffered from depression in the past, but I had always been able to pull, you know, pull myself out of it mm-hmm. through exercise yeah. or getting yeah, busy. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And, um, and so I was desperate. I was desperate to, um, to get out of that reality of what was going on. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I, I needed a way to escape it. Mm-hmm. I needed a way to to pretend or um, be able to to manage it. And I, I could see it in your face. You were desperate. Yeah. And so I went downstairs and I got a bottle of Chateauneuf de Pop. That's where you went. And I opened it and I drank the whole bottle, Bill, and it all went away. Oh, yeah. It was the solution. Yeah, it, it is short term. And that became the solution. Oh, yeah, I, I can track that. And it's not all your fault. It's your brain, partly, right? Your, your brain was saying, I got to get this ouch out of here. Something has to deaden the pain. Something has to dull my senses so I don't feel hurt or lonely or ashamed anymore. And alcohol, drugs... People, it, it, you said it, it works. It works. Short term. Well, it works, and, and so because it works, and it works real well, mm-hmm. I just kept doing it. And so I wasn't one of those... I mean, you ramped it up fast. Ramped it up fast. Within, within a year, 18 months, I was admitted into the hospital with full-blown pancreatitis, and the doctors didn't expect me to live. Because of the drinking? Because of the drinking. Within a year? You know, you always do things full on, Carrie. Yeah. I was desperate. I was desperate. I took a leave of absence from my my job, and I I just drank every day. Mm-hmm. I drank absolutely every day to escape mm-hmm. what was going on in my life. Yeah. So at that time, by that time, I, my husband, my second husband, and I, we had been married, and we were part of a church, and and so the elders of the church came and they, you know, they told me, they read me the law. They told me I needed to quit. Mm-hmm. And and I don't blame them, Bill. Like, 
like like they were desperate too. They had absolutely no idea how to deal with mm -hmm. with what was going on. Most, most elders, pastors don't. You know, they had they had approached me on on a couple of occasions to try to get me to talk to me and tell me to stop, mm -hmm. and um, and then I couldn't keep doing it. And and of of course, in my psyche, the options were to to not drink, but then deal with the reality of what was going on. By this time, my husband and I were separated. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, I mean, that just was, that was crazy. How was I ever going to do that? Mm -hmm. There was no intervention or no other source of help. It was mm -hmm. just stop. You're, you're not, you know, right. you're not supposed to be doing this. You're a professing Christians, mm -hmm. Christian. And then eventually they, um, they kicked me out of the church. Mm -hmm. They withdrew my membership and told me that I couldn't. I couldn't be part of the church mm -hmm. um, and until I cleaned up my mm -hmm. And this is where, where I sort of came into the picture in your life in that church as well. Is, and I can say what they were hoping for was that you would feel guilty about it and then choose to change. That's the, that's the idea, right, of excommunication. Or, um, but yeah, for addicts. The problem is they can't choose to change. No, when the way I understand it, and I don't have a complete understanding mm -hmm. of addiction, but 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 when I was drinking, all of my all of my thinking and my decisions, choices mm -hmm. were were all about um, were all through a state of like like being drunk. Mm -hmm. Like so so you're not thinking clear. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking clearly. I wasn't making good choices. Mm -hmm. Um, but still, my head said that the solution was to just get drunk and pass out. Mm -hmm. So for somebody to come along and say, we're taking away your solution, and we don't have anything to yeah, replace Yeah, you can it. no longer hang around we Christians. And you can't drink, you can't mm -hmm. have your solution. Yeah. you got to just sit there and live in that reality. And and Bill, if, if, if I would have stopped drinking at that point without any any support or any program, mm -hmm. I really think I would have just killed myself. Yeah. Yeah. There was yeah. No other the ultimate deadening of the pain. Yeah. So when I got admitted into the, um, into the hospital with acute pancreatitis, again, by the grace of God, mm -hmm. my doctor was a recovering alcoholic mm. on Monday. Yeah. And, um, and he was wonderful. You know, he, he kept telling me, Carrie, you are powerless over this. Mm -hmm. Well, heaven forbid. Somebody tell me oh, I was yeah. powerless. What else you got? And then I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to surrender to a higher power. Are mm. you nuts? Mm -hmm. Give up control. Mm -hmm. So it took me. I, I think it took me a really long time to get to that place where I didn't surrender, but I got surrendered, and that was lying in that bed and the doctor saying, "You're going to die," mm. and there was no other choice. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a choice to surrender. Mm. It was, it was. There was no other door to go through but surrender. But the surrender was a door. You saw it as a door. Did I see it as a door? Or was it laid on you? It, it just was. There was no. There was no other way. There was no other place to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm. Yeah. See, this is fascinating. So we say. I've said to a lot of people is you just need to surrender. You need to surrender. And they look at me like, what the hell does that mean? I think I was brought to the end of myself. 
mm-hmm. like physically I couldn't run, mentally I was so depressed mm-hmm. I was in a black hole. Mm-hmm. Um, spiritually, I needed someone to, to do it for me mm-hmm. because I couldn't put it together. Mm-hmm. I needed some, you know, remember when, when, when um, in Sunship they taught us about the caterpillar in the ring of fire and that you, oh, yeah. you sure. Mm-hmm. that was me, I was the caterpillar. Mm-hmm. And they're doing my best. ring of fire, you can't find, you're, you're, you're toast, you can't get out because it's a ring of fire. And, and just, and somebody comes along and he picks you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I believe that was God. Yeah, uh, so we're going through Matthew and the podcast and Sermon on the Mount. Twice in Matthew, Jesus talks about God making people see. And that's the word, you know, the, the, the song that I like, the worship song, Jireh, that's what that is. It's God made Abraham see the lamb that was already caught in the, made him see it. Yireh, it's, he provides, but it's make you see. So does that fit, that God made you see surrender, made you see that as an option, or made made that door open for you, that wasn't there before? It was always there, I guess. I can't even say that. He did it for me. Okay. He surrendered you. Yeah, see, okay, that's good. So the God who makes people surrender. See, in our day and age, that's offensive. I, I, I don't want to lose control. No, I, I choose to surrender. What you're saying is, yeah, I chose, but it was after God picked me out of that ring of fire, and I went, okay, what I've just done is surrender. Yeah, I don't, I can't even, I can't take any credit for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I think if, Lying on that hospital bed, if somebody would have walked down and, and offered me like a cider, I would have taken it. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's, you know, so it was really miraculous. Okay. All right. And what happened when you surrendered? Well, I was in the hospital, so I, mm. I, I, um, I, I, I think, I think I, you know, I had to go through withdrawals, and that was part of it, right? But then. I just started reading my Bible. And again, there we are. It was the only place, like I didn't really understand what had happened to me, but I, for some reason, I, I believe God drew me to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't take any credit for it. And, mm-hmm. and if I can say anything, it's, it's that God did it. I didn't do it. Yeah. He surrendered me. That you knew. He drew me to himself. Yep. He provided a way out, mm-hmm. and he continues to do that, mm-hmm. right? Okay, hold that thought. I've got to take a break for sponsors again. Sorry about that, but anyway, so we're going to take a break, short break for a couple of sponsors. We'll see you in a minute. Okay, we're back with Carrie Dupree and uh, talking about this amazing, ridiculous surrender that God does, and you, and you listeners, you get it. We've all been there once. Uh, we, we get it. We just get it. It's a miracle. We don't know us. Why us? Why Why did God do it? But, yeah, we, we get it. That's when we started hearing the music. You know, started, started getting into the dance. Um, okay, so Carrie, uh, pick up where you left off. Yeah, so there I was in the hospital reading my Bible, and I, I think people from the church who came to see me thought I was, like, just faking it or something. Oh, is that right? You think? I don't know. They didn't they didn't seem encouraged by what was going on. Mm-hmm. But that didn't matter. I mean 
there I was hooked up to machines reading my Bible. And, and I think, um, I made peace with God. Mm. He surrendered me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he surrendered me. I love that. He brought me to the place of, of believing and trust, being willing to trust him mm-hmm. and turning my will over and saying, okay, God, I've made a mess so far. Mm-hmm. Um, help. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I just, that's where I sat. I sat there for hours just bathing in that. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Do mm-hmm. I have, but, but somehow it was going to be okay. And then this nurse came along and um, she found a treatment center for me to go to. And she drove me in. And I was there for a year. I stayed on site for nine months, and then for three months I went back for day treatment. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was there, I felt accepted. They helped me to deal with the shame and the guilt mm-hmm. of, of going along, uh, of doing what I did, and crossing, crossing all of my core belief systems and all of my vows. Mm-hmm. And Not the vows. Uh, and uh, working through the twelve steps. Mm-hmm. and learning a new way to live and going to AA meetings where uh, the playing field uh, was equal. Everybody was in the same boat. Everybody made a mess of their lives. Similar mistakes. Yeah. So there was no better than, less than. Uh, yeah. It's humanity, right? I mean, I like the AA. I, I do. I like the AA model. And my, my youngest daughter and I talk about that maybe being church future. Because we're we're in desperate need for uh, we we feel shame's on a rampage in our culture, anxiety, loneliness, isolation, and people are going to addictions. It might be oxycotton, it might be alcohol, it might be sex, it might be identity, it might be church, it might be jobs, it might be sports. But people are wildly addicted now compared to fifty years ago. Something's got to snap. And I just wonder what that looks like for, for church. And maybe it looks more like an AA meeting. Well, I think I've, <clears throat> I've experienced um, the freedom that comes uh, through the participation in the 12 students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Um, Want to, I you know I want to carry that message to others. That's that's still talk about the first three because you and I have talked about it. It's like you these are the ones you just go back to, right? So the first one is you admit you're powerless over um, the set the uh, the effects of our separation from God and our lives would become unmanageable. Or for my mm-hmm. I admitted that I was powerless over alcohol. I'm powerless, but I hate being powerless. Yeah, I hate it. But why do you hate it? Because it makes me powerless. I'm shame prone. It just it it it, it for me it's a statement of shame. I was raised, you 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 know you manage your life. You you're you're successful if you work hard enough. Uh, you go to school so you're smart enough so you can achieve. And the, to admit I'm powerless, that just was never modeled for me. Right, because you're always <clears throat> got to be responsible. And you got to make good choices. Successful. And you got to be successful. But to, you're linking successful ultimately with being powerless, admitting powerless. Really? What? 
That just never popped into my head. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, to me, it's the only place of, <laughs> of peace and of freedom. Yeah, you got it. And rest. Right. Now, I think... I think step two is you can you come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. So, you know, when you admit you're powerless, you don't kind of give it up to the atmosphere. Right. You you are giving it up to God, to to your higher power, and then you make a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand Him, and of course you grow in your understanding of God as as you live your life. So step one, two, three. Um, I can't. God can. I'll let Him. Mm-hmm. Right, and I'm not mm-hmm. so sure about the I'll let him. Yeah, it's a choice. We participate. I want him. Yeah, he's <laughs> more like I want him. Like I, I know what my life is like when I when I live life without God and try mm-hmm. to run it on my own. Mm-hmm. I know where it ended me up. Yeah. I don't want to go back there. Right, and I do know that God has a life, a wonderful life planned for me, and I want to experience that. Mm-hmm. And and I'm probably more more motivated to try to get those things that are preventing me from having that life out of the way because mm-hmm. I've experienced the grace of God mm-hmm. and I want more of it. Yeah, it's the ultimate dependence. Uh, uh, people who've been listening to Gospel Rant know, like I say it's a, all the time, discipleship, spiritual formation, and life. For Christians, it's not about becoming more like Jesus. Uh, nobody's. That's a that's a huge standard versus becoming more dependent upon Jesus. And the goal ultimately gets me to become more like Jesus, but if I try to do it on my own, I look religious. I lo- I'll look moralistic. I'll look, I-, I won't look much like Jesus. I'll look more like the people who killed Jesus than Jesus. But if I become more dependent upon Jesus, I really do look more like the followers of his flawed people who are becoming more and more dependent upon Jesus and trusting in Jesus. Then I actually become more of a lover of others and lover of God. So the first thing is to become, to figure out how in my context, in my world, in my brain, I can become more dependent upon Jesus, his spirit. Okay. And so I would say that, you know, in the 12 step program, they have what we call common behavior characteristics. Okay, Mm -hmm. And those are those behaviors that I exhibit when I want to be self-reliant, mm-hmm. when I'm um, self-sufficient, when mm-hmm. I'm trying to build my own reputation to find mm-hmm. my own righteousness or build it, those are all of the things that will block and prevent that I will do mm-hmm. and keep doing in insanity, expecting that same result yeah. of feeling right, yeah. right. But they prevent me from going to God. Yeah. And yeah. so what I need is that I need, I need people in my life that recognize those behaviors and will point them up to me and go, there you go again, care. Like, depending on yourself. Mm-hmm. Or there you go again, trying to earn your reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go again, trying to be right. Mm-hmm. right? And so, having repeated the insanity of, mm-hmm. be, of performing that behavior and ending up feeling shame and guilt right. and, and separated from God, right. <sighs> Just having a taste mm-hmm. of the joy that comes from running to God and going, you feel me instead. Yep. Oops. Yeah. Or even sometimes, Bill, when I recognize this, it's just help mm-hmm. God have mercy on me. Mm-hmm. Deliver me from myself. Mm-hmm. 
pour out your spirit. Make me, make me believe that I don't need, I don't need to build my reputation on my job. I don't need to build my security in my bank account. Yeah. And Bill, you, you know, we've been visiting with you and you've watched me. I don't have this figured out. All I know is that I need people in my life who will paint, who will point out what I'm doing, the way I'm living, yeah. and point me to Jesus. I think that's church future. I think that's church. Yeah, it should be. That is church. Yeah. And we, you know, Bill, we've talked about the good enough parent. Mm-hmm. And and that's on my heart because I think a lot of these things get set up when when we're kids. Oh, They're totally right. right. The, First two years of life, even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it can change. The um, research has shown if a child, if a if a if a parent, caregiver, particularly mothers, but not necessarily mothers, attune with their child, that deep, deep, deep brain, neural, emotional connection where the mother's holding the baby, looking eye to eye, and she goes goo, 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 and the baby goes goo, 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 and chuckles and laughs, and the mom, you know, that connection, very powerful. It's a brain mirroring. If that happens 30% of the interactions, the child goes into their next stage of life, toddler, they're willing to explore the world. They're, they're easier to get along with. They cry, they dysregulate less. They still dysregulate I think this regulate. They're willing to learn. They actually learn faster. It's amazing what happens versus families that, for whatever reason, don't do that. Thirty percent is doable, but but it's intentional. Yeah. We have to be intentional. And then adolescence is that next season of life where it seems to make a real difference for parents to be intentional, and they end up having happier kids. It's, it's not rocket science. It is brain science, but it's not rocket science. We can do this. Um, we can do this. And, uh, yeah, what I tell teen, parents of teens and tweens is it's not too late. If, if your child had a bad go first two years of life, this is, your, this is the, the mulligan. Yeah. This is the redo. They are looking for you to have their back. They're looking for you to be their, their best fan. Uh, to tell them how much you adore them as they are, and it begins to rewire their brain. A little. Yeah, I don't think it's like it's too late. Mm-hmm. Um, ever. Ever. That's I, right. Ever. I think. I think people who struggle with addiction and don't get surrendered until mm-hmm. well into their later years, mm-hmm. I still think that there's recovery possible. Sure. I, I still think they can experience surrender. And they can experience, you know, reconciliation with God, right. with themselves, with the people they've harmed, and that they can they can keep right. doing that. You can bring reconciliation. Awesome. All right, uh, we're going to have to wrap it up. But uh, tell me, let's wrap it up on the gospel. Give me a gospel presentation or the essence of the gospel to to other carries out there in in their teen years. Let's say, what would have resonated with you? captured your attention or uh, arrested you, you know, jarred your your brain when you were in that hole? Well, um, I think think that God was faithful to send a teacher. Mm. He sent a teacher who believed in me, Mm. who who gave me a place. He honored me. Mm. You know, he honored me for, Mm. um, for who I was. And, um, and he and he liked me. Mm-hmm. I could tell he liked me. 
Mm-hmm. And and that was a, a safe place. Which every kid needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hence, I'm a teacher. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's not, uh, that's a good point. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He so. was, the, he became in a short time the dad you didn't have. It's wonderful how our brain goes that direction. And I guess, um, as far as a gospel presentation, mm-hmm. we're going to, it's our human nature to look and explore all different avenues mm-hmm. in order to uh, get to that place where we figure it out that they don't work. Mm-hmm. And and I just hope and pray that when people get to that place, that um, that God reaches down and touches them. That's my prayer. That's, that's my what prayer. God does. Yeah, good. That's excellent. Yeah, I uh, just layer on top of that. God actually doesn't walk away from people like like little Carrie, young Carrie. He pursues. He draws near. He's not disgusted with her. He honors her because he does. And that, when she looked up in his eyes, looks up in his eyes eventually, she sees what, what her brain's been looking for. Someone who is her biggest fan. Uh, it's shocking. Um, and she needs to be surrendered, like you said. But he does that too. Yeah, he does. Yeah, that's good. Oh, my goodness. We should do more of these podcasts. All right. So I need to close this one. Um, she mentioned Good Enough Parent. It's up and running. Good Enough Parent online. It is totally free if you are a parent or caregiver or guardian for teenagers or tweens or preteens. You're going to want to take a look at this. Again, it's free. We send you 15 tips, short tips, 10 to 15 minute tips, one a day for 15 days. We give before and after survey so you can see where you grew where you where, where growth could could uh, could happen next look we, we did a we did some testing on this and the results were fabulous you don't become a perfect parent you become a more good enough parent and and that's noticeable check it out goodenoughparent.online if you have any questions or concerns contact me bill at gospel-app.com i want to thank carrie again for participating and being so transparent i, I love it absolutely love it And I'd like to thank Life Audio as well, lifeaudio.com, for providing the platform. So we'll get back to the Sermon on the Mount in the next podcast. Uh, Until then, take heart, child of God. Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free story behind podcasts. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind wherever you get your podcasts.